right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by IcarusFC.com. This is episode number 290, and since I have a Canada soccer chat in this episode, it's only appropriate that we give a shout-out to Christine Sinclair. It was in her 290th appearance for Canada back in January that Sinclair scored her 184th and 185th international goals, tying and then breaking Abby Wambach's world record. Uh Sinclair right now, she's at 296 appearances, you know, getting close to 300 and still probably going to score some more goals. All right. So two chats today. First, uh, spoke with Charles Olney of Backline Soccer to review all the various aspects of the recently announced NWSL Challenge Cup, which is set to kick off at the end of June in Utah. All nine NWSL clubs participating. Um, So many aspects of this setup to discuss, uh, but had a really good chat with Charles. And then I caught up with Katie and Jessica from the Canadian soccer podcast called For Kicks, all about Canadian women's soccer, also focuses on NWSL. Um, We belatedly talked about Canada's performance in the Tournoi de France back in March before COVID shut everything down. Also, we talked to Christine Sinclair, Jordan Heitema, and Jesse Fleming. And in between the two chats, of course, is the relatively new recurring segment called Jen's Planning. This week, the topic is what's the difference between stoppage time, extra time, and overtime? All right, so I hope you enjoy this episode, but don't forget, please follow me on Twitter at MixZone, that's two X's in MixZone, and also at KeeperNotes, and feel free to share this podcast with any soccer fans you know. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Charles Only from Backline Soccer. And Charles, I know you and I are both so relieved to actually have some news, some NWSL news um, that that's a little positive, right? We still have some concerns, but it's like, yes, there's going to be live soccer. I mean, what was what was your first reaction when you saw the official release about the Challenge Cup? Yeah, we've been kind of in limbo for quite a while. So having the prospect of actual soccer on the horizon is great. Uh, I will say that uh, I've been a little bit skeptical of the, you know, sort of the leaks and the announcements as they've been dribbling out and I've been pretty worried about um, maybe this is going a little bit too quickly and what, what's all the protocol and everything. But over the course of the day, as the announcements came out and then uh, coaches and then Lisa Baird and, and Tola Hansen and folks were you know providing all kinds of information and access, it just really seems like um, they've thought through all the questions that the people were asking. And that's really, I'm really enthusiastic about that. I, I generally haven't felt that way about the NWSL. So it's nice to um, feel like they're on top of the game. And, and, and that's, you know, I have to start with a huge shout out to Lisa Baird um, in that even without games being played, right, even in this this strange pause on everything, we're already seeing the effect of her her leadership that, you know, as soon as this was ready to announce, it was announced thoroughly and in its entirety, right? Like, 
you know, like you said, answering all the questions. Yes, here's the stuff about player testing and here's the players contracts and this is where it'll be played and and there's a sponsor for it and here is the the broadcasting info. Um you know, it's it, it's so great to see and and I don't even want to think about, you know, where we would have been with uh you know, a crisis like this in in previous seasons. So, yeah, I was excited too. Like we all knew the announcement was coming, right? But it seemed to come still very suddenly, but but so completely, which I was like, okay, this is real. <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, I think I, re- I, I, we started a new uh, Houston Dash podcast uh, as one of the many mm-hmm. things I've been working on. And we dropped an episode, uh, I think, you know, like eight hours before the NWSL announcement came out, where I of course, just talked a little bit course. about how I was worried about, you know, when are they going to actually tell us? What are they going to reveal? The league is, they're very into secrecy. They don't like to show their hand too much. Oftentimes, I think, because um, the details aren't necessarily quite as filled in as they would like them to be. And I was just worried that this is something where it feels like... details can change, right? Like, that's that's a lot of times you don't confirm something until it's actually solid. Like, well, hey, we know now that there were a couple of different cities you know, being considered. Right. So yeah, you don't, you don't announce until it's, till it's all settled, but unlike previous announcements that we've seen in the past where it'll be like, okay, the, you know, the championship game is in this city. It's like nothing else is with it. Right. Um, (laughs) this is like thorough, like and yeah, then full, the, full the, list of safety and, protocols and here's what the planes will be like here's what the you know the, the rooms the floors of the hotels will look like all these kinds of things is that's stuff i wouldn't necessarily have expected yeah and yesterday afternoon you know lisa barrett is on sirius fm and you know they're doing an nwsl live this afternoon th- on thursday you know it's, it's like um immediately several teams had you know, media availability. It was so great to be able to talk to, uh, you know, James Clarkson just, you know, within a couple hours of the announcement and, you know, get even more details, you know. So we've heard that they can dress 20 players per game and use up to five subs and they can take up to 28 players, uh, you know, to Utah. So, um, you know, it's, it's great to get all those details. So let, let's talk format. Um, because this is one area that most of the format has been announced, but we really don't know what that first round is going to look like. So all nine teams go into Utah. Eight of the nine will qualify for a little knockout round. But how do they decide, you know, who are the, who are the eight? And they said it's a guaranteed four games per team. So... You can break into groups of three and play everybody in your group twice to get four games. But I think that kind of that sucks that, you know, then you would get the same teams twice. Right. So I'm thinking it's just like an open draw of here are your four first round games. And that's that's the way it is. Right. But at least you get four different opponents. I don't I don't see how else you would do it. I don't think it makes sense to have one group of four and one group of five. But but what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a little unsatisfying that you're not going to get to play every team, but you know the the world around us is a little unsatisfying, so uh, <laughs> we just kind of have to get to kind of roll with the punches and and, and take them. Yeah. And so it, 
I, I think the important thing is just to remember it, it's not there's no way it's going to feel like a definitive whoever wins this t- tournament is is necessarily the best team. It's just we're going to get some games. People are going to get a chance to play. And so, as you say, I think it just seems like there's a draw one through nine teams. Um, everyone, you know, picks their place and finds out who their four opponents will be. And then you play those games and, you know, maybe you get unlucky and your four opponents are North Carolina, Portland, you know, Chicago and, and Utah or something. <laughs> and, you know, that's a bummer, but that's just the way that it goes. And at least you get some good competition. And so I, I get the sense that everyone around the league is mostly just enthusiastic about the opportunity to play and is going to try to not um, dig too much into uh, worrying about what exactly is the most fair process. Just because, as you say, with nine teams, there just isn't a way to develop a process that even yeah. um, looks like what we would normally assume to be fair. So we just kind of have to accept that and, and that'll be okay. Well, and, and I like that the focus on, you know, every team gets at least four games, right? And only one team is going to get the minimum four. Then you have eight, eight teams get at least five because eight of the nine teams go, you know, the quarterfinal. So, it, so it's like, okay, good. It, it makes it worth having this month away from family, friends, you know, your, your home base um, that, you'll get something out of it, right? Like it reminds me a little bit of, you know, the the current discussion on the 2026 World Cup that they'll have, you know, 16 groups of three and you're only guaranteed two games, you know, and then you can be eliminated after that. It's it's like, wait, all that prep, all that travel and your fans flying thousands of miles for two games, you know, like, yeah, you got to make that format where, you know, okay, even if you're eliminated, you've got, you know, so even the ninth place team will end up playing playing four games. Um, I also like this structure in terms of just exposure for the league, right? Um, that it's not just knockout where teams are suddenly gone. Um, you can see, uh, you know, I, I think that the group stage knockout thing is is a format we're very comfortable with, you know, following the Women's World Cup. But, but having this month where you know, almost nothing will be on TV for live sports. Maybe some other things will happen by then. Maybe not. Um, and we've seen historically how um, the women's tournaments, you know, the World Cup in 99, the World Cup in 2011, 2015, 2019, you know, it's, it's like <laughs> took advantage of that great break in the summer when there's just um, not as much congestion on the, on the sports calendar. Um it reminds me of 2015, uh, the week after, yeah, it was like the week after games resumed for NWSL or rather like, like, you know, the players were back. It was MLB all-star game week and the channel yeah. that streamed our, that, that played our dash games. Um, they didn't have any content cause they mostly showed baseball. So they just replayed every dash game from that season, <laughs> like for three days straight and so then then i start running into people just randomly they're like hey i saw you on root sports hey i saw you root sports and i'm like wait my face is on the screen maybe five minutes of a two-hour broadcast was like wow but it it reminded me that we still have a culture where you know you go into a bar restaurant right there's just tvs and they just leave them on sports channels right so here was one opportunity where a sports channel was just running the soccer over and over. So, um, you know, I'm excited that we got 
CBS behind this, right? Now, obviously, like Twitch isn't going to be on a TV in a bar, but like there's, you know, it's, it's like it's exposure. That exposure is so huge. Um, and I think we've, we've tempered the, you know, the quest for exposure with like, okay, let's make sure the players are safe, right? So I, I like the format. We don't know how the group stage is going to go, like we said, but, you know, as, as you mentioned, there's really no perfect way to do that with nine teams, you know, just think, Hey, if we had, if we had that 10th team, that Sacramento team, yeah. you'd have 10 <laughs> teams, two groups of five, you play your four, but okay. Can't go back in time and change that. Um, so what do you think about, about the setup doing it all uh, in the Salt Lake er- Salt Lake city area? Well, I've kind of felt the whole, time that this has been going on that putting everyone in one location is probably the only way to get any kind of soccer this year so i'm actually really glad to hear as we heard that they had um you know more than just the one bid about places to, to host that and utah really does seem like probably about as good a place as you could hope for right now um, the caseloads are, are pretty low in Utah. It definitely is one of the lowest risk locations to, to host some events in the States. And, um, you know, in terms of places to play in the middle of July, it's a little nicer perhaps than, than a Houston or uh, yes, North Carolina yes, or somewhere. Yes, I have to so, admit that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, they, and just being in a location where there is an owner who does happen to own, you know, some private jets to fly people out and a hotel that they can completely take over um, for their NWSL village. You know, it, it, it's nice to be able to have that as kind of the, the baseline to work from. And it's... Yeah. You know, it, it, again, it, it's unfortunate just because um, it is in a location where, you know, we would like for people to be able to go to games and to attend and for media to be able to show up and, and do all their live reporting and everything. But we just we were never going to get that in 2020. Right. And so in terms of what we can get, um, this seems about as about as good as we could hope for. Yeah. I mean, at first when I you know was hearing the rumors of, of Salt Lake, I'm like, huh? Um, though I got, I got the, you know, Utah has fewer cases, but I was, I was concerned about the resources available until then I read all of this about really what Deloitte Hansen has access to. And that just, that just changes everything. Um, because to be in, in control of the venue of the event of the, the host city in a way that we've almost never seen NWSL have that kind of control, right? Like I I think about uh, the 2017 final in Orlando where that event for people living in Orlando was completely overshadowed by, it was also pride weekend. There was a Bruno Mars Mars concert, right? So like way too many other things going on. Right. And, and of course the pride had no, um, and, and the league especially had no power to be like the main event, you know, uh, of the weekend. And so, you know, knowing um, the influence that the Utah Royals, the, the whole organization has in the city, that that's huge. And, and especially to see that because of Hanson's real estate holdings that he can say, hey, players, you know, we're taking over an entire hotel. Each team will have their own floor. Each player gets their own room, right? Which never happens. 
right? Yeah. Normally, normally their tutor room on uh, for, for traveling. Like that's it. and that uh, I love this that um, you know moms can bring their kids and caregivers can come and they'll have you know like that they're they're thinking through all of the details. So yeah, just just like you, the more I read about, it, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is this is not the risk that I was worried it could be. Yeah. You know, and so I, the thing it, that it, I was looks like that's the right place for it. The thing that I was the most kind of concerned about was it, it's really hard to balance the you do really need to keep players, staff and everyone in effective, you know, quarantine isolation, because if they're going out into the community at all, that just exponentially multiplies the exposure risks and just makes the whole thing massively more complicated. But it's also really asking a lot of people to, to basically go to a game and then go back home and stay locked up in a room by yourself for four days. And yes. hearing about what they were able to put together in terms of, as you said, this, you know, you get a whole floor to the hotel for one team and there's going to provide everything in terms of, you know, um, amenities and entertainment opportunities and ping pong tables. And, um, and, you know, Dylan Hansen was, was very clear about like, we're going to have people who are basically there to, to get players and staff everything that they need so that yeah. no one feels a need to kind of go out and about. And yeah. I, I really, one of the things I really liked about that was the way they were speaking about it was very, look, players know that this is a difficult thing. Like everyone understands that the NWSL is coming back faster than everyone else in part because um, and i think lisa baird said this specifically it's a nimble small league it has the ability to kind of work together you know to, to to create opportunities and they're asking players to buy into that and saying look you know you're adults some of them are not, you know, necessarily quite adults because we're talking about 20, 21 year olds, (laughs) but you know, you're, you're adults, right? Like if this is going to work, it's going to really require some people to sacrifice. We're going to do everything we can to make that sacrifice as minimal as possible. Uh, And I think that's a really mature kind of approach and attitude. And I I was really happy to hear that sort of spoken about in such explicit terms um, because that balance is otherwise really hard to strike. But if you just treat people, you know, seriously and say, here's what we're going to need you to do. Don't screw it up. Um, I think we probably can trust people to, to, to stay on the level. Well, and and especially that, you know, like you mentioned with, you know, Deloitte Hansen, making sure there's, there's entertainment, their recognition that, Hey, we can't just store these players in a hotel for a month and just bring them out when there's games, right? Like, you know, you don't want people going stir crazy. You don't want them to have the temptation of leaving the hotel. Like, you know, I would be like, Hey, this, kind of sounds like an all-inclusive resort <laughs> like, like they're you know they're they're thinking about this this is good um i was also pleased to see um you know of course immediately the the stamp of approval um from the nwsl players association right so like yeah uh you know clearly they'd been involved um with this plan from the beginning um you know, it's it's still a pretty young group. You know, they still don't have a true collective bargaining agreement that represents the non-U.S. national team players in the league, but they're making such progress, right? And like you said about uh, NWSL being a small, nimble league and being able to move quickly on something like this, you know, we can compare this to MLS, which we heard earlier that they were planning to do, you know, or, or trying to do everybody in Orlando, right at the Disney resorts where you have all those fields um, that they've used for ESPN tournaments. 
but there's been no movement on that, right? You've got what, 26, 28, 30 teams. I cannot keep up really. I can't count um, anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's at least that many. <laughs> yeah. And they may have added a couple the, more and the collective here. bargaining agreement, right? Where it's, it's like, there actually is a CBA between the MLS player, you know? So it's, it's like, it's just going to make it more, more complicated, but, but back to the NWSL players, you know, so pleased to hear, you know, contract guarantees for everybody, salary, housing benefits for the entire year, insurance coverage for the entire year. Um, you know, like we said, the accommodation for players with children. Um, and, and it sounds like they are regularly um, including the NWSL Players Association on decisions on format of, of the tournament. And then I think the biggest part, uh, not even including the, the national teamers, is the regular players who do not wish to participate, they won't be required and won't be penalized for the decision. So that's, I think that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And especially because I, I think the way I, I phrased it maybe a week ago is I was worried that this would kind of get pushed through because the players didn't have any leverage and it just really right. didn't turn out that way. What what happened? What, and because the reality is, I mean, these are professional athletes. They want to go do what they're really good at. They want to play soccer. So I'm sure right. that 90, 95 percent of players will just be thrilled to be able to get a chance to play and are, are going to go. But that's going to be because it's it's voluntary they they could say you know what i don't feel safe or i don't feel comfortable with being in utah quarantined or, or whatever and they can just sort of no fault say i'll be back next year but i'm out for now and still right. get paid still get all their insurance coverage and everything and that's another just example of it's a place where it's not about them not having leverage it's just it's a collective buy-in that the owners that the players that the staff and and the executive bodies are all sort of saying we know that this is going to be a weird situation and it's maybe it's of course not ideal but we think we're going to get real value out of this process and we're all going to you know put in what we can and um, hopefully see it work out so i'm sure that we will run into some issues along the way but i, I feel pretty confident that everyone is pulling in the same direction now and that makes me feel a lot more confident about um, whatever issues do come up in the process um, will probably get resolved rather than exploding. Right. It, it seems like the league approached it with a we're all in this together attitude as opposed to, hey, if you don't play our legal fold, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was it was it was it was a very like, hey, you know, we're all stakeholders in this. And, you know. We're trying to run a business. You're trying to further your soccer career. Let's do this together. Um, and and I think, like you said, most of these players do want to play. Um, I would think, especially if you're not a national team player, you know, here's probably your only opportunity of 2020 uh, to show Vlatko Andonovsky what you've got, right? Um, you know, especially as we're hearing um, that there may be some U.S. national team players that that do opt out. Now, obviously, you know, to clarify, they have a separate contract, right? Because they're employees of U.S. soccer and their individual salaries are paid by U.S. soccer. Um, so they're not part of those NWSL Players Association negotiations. And of course, they actually have much more power in this situation because they do have their CBA, right? Which we know a lot about because of all the <laughs> the, the lawsuits and, and legal filings the last couple of years. Um, you know, how do you feel about um, 
some players sitting out. Um, you know, it, it's like like I said, it it obviously it's each individual's choice, but there's part of me that that feels like there's a bigger burden on the national teamers to support it in some way. Um, I don't know if they would agree, <laughs> but but I I feel like like you know this league was created for you. For some of them, this league created you, um, and, and we're in this great. Well, we were in this great place following 2019, coming into a new season with you know, OL having bought the rain and a new commissioner, all this stuff, and kind of like you know, so all that momentum halted, right? Like, but I, I don't know. I mean, how do you, how do you? It's feel? a, it, yeah, it's a tough thing to really talk through in some ways because. I completely, re- I mean, anyone who chooses to not play, like there's plenty of good reasons to not play. And I, I would not criticize any player who says, I don't feel like this is, you know, a good, I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable, yeah. certainly. Or just, I don't think that this tournament would do much for advancing my career on, on the national team or, or wherever. And particularly, you know, we have some players. Well, see, who I, are, I, ha- uh, I have a, I have, I have a problem with that complaint as a reason to opt out. You know, like I mostly I, just I mean feel, players who might yeah. be concerned about recovering from injuries. So, like, I, I don't think Megan Rapinoe has been at 100% in terms of health in 12, right. 18 months or so. And so, if her perspective is, I probably only have six months of really top level soccer left in me, I want. <laughs> I want to I want to rest and be ready to really go come, you know, March, April of next year so that I can go to the Olympics again. I, I would respect that. I, you know, if if, if um, another player who's you have plenty of players who are in, into their 30s now, if they kind of make the calculation that the injury risk that might be associated with, you know, kind of rushing back and, and trying to get back into training levels. I could understand that they might say those would be concerns that I, that I would have. But as you say, it's also the case that one of the things that's really been a nice um, development over the last few years has been the national team players increasingly approaching the league as something that is really critical in its own terms and really buying into it. And it would really be a bummer if a lot of national team players sort of put their cards on the table and say, when actually, when the, when the rubber meets the road, um, we don't really care that much about the league and we're not going to show up to this event. Uh, I think that would be really disappointing without wanting to say that I would want to blame any specific player who, who made that choice. So yeah, I kind of just think we'll have to see maybe because my guess is that most players are, like I said, I think they're going to want to play because it's not like there's going to be national team games anytime soon either. And right. I think they're going to want to you know get the reps in if nothing else. So I, I hope it's just a problem yeah. we don't have to think through. Um, but we, we will have to see kind of what it looks like. Well, and you make a lot of good points because there there's so many sides to it, right? Um, and I, I would feel like if we were dealing with a normally crowded calendar, you know, some of those arguments would make more sense to me, right? Like I've only got six months of playing time left, but here when it's like, hey, the calendar's basically frozen <laughs> for for this year, like said, so it, it's like that might be your only competitive play and you know we do know there, there's always players who are on the bubble with the national team right it, you know inside the bubble and right outside the bubble right so like if i'm those on the bubble players well then i want to commit to this tournament um i would also think if i'm maybe that older player 
um, who wants some rest, but wants to support the league, you know, I'm sure I could negotiate uh, with my club coach, say, hey, yeah. I want to be part of the tournament. I'll come play. Can we limit my minute, minutes to X? Can yeah. we? You and, know, and, or, or, and that's a place where these new roster rules will be really effective for that because I think, yes, I mean, 28 player rosters, that's so much larger than it was even a couple of years ago. And I think it's really right. designed to say, we don't assume any player is going to play, you know, 360 minutes of that group stage. That's just a lot right. of games really fast at altitude right. with, you know, on with, turf without a normal preseason on turf. So I assume teams will really say, we don't need to put out our best 11 every game. In fact, our plan is to really cycle and rotate. And so if yes. you know, our, our national team player only plays, starts one game and comes in as a sub for 20 minutes in two games, that's fine. And, you know, yeah. maybe if we get to the final, <laughs> we'll start to really, you know, level up. Well, it's, especially when only the ninth place team is eliminated after the group stage, right? Yeah. So, you know, um, but I, I think... Um, probably a lot of the concerns that, you know, we heard trickling out from national teamers before all of this was official. I would like to think that a lot of those concerns have been, you know, swept away with uh, the details of these announcements, right? Like, no, we're not putting you at some dorm. You're going to be, you know, in a nice hotel with your own room. And yes, you can bring your kids and, you you know, like um, that it just... Yeah, it it makes sense. And obviously, you know, we've all been going through a pretty strange time these last, you know, yes. two and a half months. And there and there's and there's still a lot of unknowns, you know. It's it's like um I, I recognize all of their concerns, but I, I feel like compared to significant swaths of the population you've got an employer here that looks like it's bending over backwards <laughs> to make sure you are safe and taken care of and your needs are met and your concerns are heard. And so, you know, like at, at this point, um, again, it's, it's an individual's right to say, I'm not comfortable participating, but I would want to hear if, if, you know, a big name sat out, I, I would kind of like to hear, why you know again that's just that's just the like well, they're doing everything right like what else you know what else are you concerned for um or you know if they don't want to play can they participate in another way right like can they do you know broadcast you know like i i've i've been really enjoying um i saw a lot of tweets last weekend about you know the people that are calling the bundesliga games again for english language tv like uh yeah. Was it Ian Dark? I think like he's calling it from his home. They sent him all the equipment. So he's not even going to a studio to call off monitor. He's calling off monitor in his home. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, that, that's, that's crazy. So, you know, I hope the, you know, any of the, the big name players that don't actually participate still can figure out a way to support it. Right. Like, because yeah. um, no one's national team career is forever. Right. Um, and we're in we're in this era now that we've never really had uh, the luxury of having before where you could retire from the national team and keep playing club soccer. Right. Like I was uh, as I've been, you know, going down the rabbit hole of old w- women's soccer videos lately and I was watching the 
uh, Mia Hamm's last game with a friend. And she's like, why did she retire so young? She was only 32. And I said, well, she was retiring from the national team. There was no league for her to play in. Right. You know, WSA at fold. That's like, you know, like it, it was all or nothing. Yeah, you could right? retire, from, you could retire from the national team and then go and try and play in Germany or something. <laughs> that would be a yeah, big ass. Yeah, maybe. May, yeah, maybe with the, the few slot paid slots that were open. Yeah. So like, um, you know, what, what I, I mean, like there's about there's also the example. The taking there's also the example. Of this. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say there's also the example of, I mean, Allie Krieger didn't officially retire from the national team, but you know, right. it didn't look like she, she was ever going to come playing. back for the national team, but kept playing because she loves soccer and, you know, knows that there's a chance and then ends up and winning a job. World Cup, so. Yeah. And it's, yeah. To have that opportunity, right. That when you're cut from the national team, um, that it doesn't mean your career is over. It means, you know, maybe your national, maybe your international career is on pause, but no, that's, you know, that's a, that's a great example. Um, you know, and I could see post Olympics, you know, several of the older players kind of like what we've seen with Nicole Barnhart, right? Like after 2014, she wasn't part of the national team picture, but she's still rocking it in end of yourself, right? You know, <laughs> you know, um, to, to keep playing for a living, um, you know, I, I think that would be, that would be awesome. And, it, and it's so nice that we're in a place now where, where that's, that's an option for the players. Um, so the last part of this, this whole complicated puzzle, well, a couple of parts, um, obviously testing, um, they have, you know, you can go to the NWSL website and check out the the very detailed protocols about who gets tested and when and how often and and what kind of testing and you know. So, like we've mentioned multiple times already, they they've done some due diligence on this. You you have each NWSL club has provided one team doctor for the the NWSL medical task force. So you know. Just like involving the players, you're involving all the clubs and more importantly, all the clubs, medical experts. Um, and of course, the TV component. Um, so great to see that that then Cell hadn't lost, you know, the big three year deal that was announced <laughs> one day before preseason shut down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, announced, you know, March 11th, with CBS Sports and Twitch. So all of the games in Utah will be available live so the opener and the championship game are going to be on cbs like regular cbs we have never had an nwsl game on a broadcast network of course in this day and age i don't think people remember what's the difference between broadcast and cable and streaming but like one of the original three networks charles i know (laughs) i mean speaking as someone who does not have cable or anything but just has as like old school bunny ear antennas for, for my TV here. Uh, and on the border, you know, we, that mostly means they get Mexican channels rather than uh, right, right, right. But we, we get CBS. So I'll be able to just watch that on an actual TV with an actual antenna. And then the rest of the games will be on CBS All Access, which is a paid streaming service. And then internationally, or if you're using a VPN, I mean, you can make yourself look like you're internationally. You can watch them all on Twitch. Um, I I'm so excited about all of those games being so accessible because just like talked about with that beautiful time in the summer where it's a less saturated calendar now more than, more than ever. Um, it just means 
so much more potential for for eyes on the league, um, which will just keep building towards a 2021 where hopefully we'll be able to return to something more normal. Um, and, you know, again, shout out to Lisa Baird that they had presenting sponsors for this tournament, right? Like that's, yeah. that's Lisa Baird bringing those on, you know? And so you got Pete Procter and Gamble and secret is presenting sponsor of the tournament. Budweiser who came on board last year, presenting sponsor of the semis and the final and a tournament MVP award. Like, you know, and we just heard there's a multi-year partnership with Verizon. It's like, yes, yes. yes these are real. And here's big all the sponsorships. Here's all the sponsorships that Jeff Flush was talking about in 2015, right? Yeah. I mean, as, mu- as much as I love mangoes, it's a little bit nicer to have Verizon on board rather than just the mangoes. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Uh, like all the all these pieces are are coming together um there there's some great leadership and you and i as you know media we're not still stuck with questions like but what about what but what about but what about and you're like oh oh look look here's all the info we need wow you know um it's <laughs> it's a very diff- it's a very different world um and of course uh you know, there's not going to be any spectators at this game and, uh, you know, totally makes sense to me. They had, there had been a hint at some point that they were like, maybe going to let select fans go, which I could totally understand because those venues are big enough that, Hey, you let 20 people go and they each get a whole section of themselves, but yeah. <laughs> they might not, they might not want even to take a risk for that. Right. I I would suggest that they do need maybe like five drummers per game just so that you've got a little bit of like, you know, a beat to the games, a little bit of ambiance for the the broadcast. Cause it's going to be, it's going to be nice and quiet, but it also means we'll get to hear everything that the players yell at each other and the coaches yell. And the coaches. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everyone's going to have to watch their language. It's going to be awesome. Well, any final thoughts from you, Charles on, on just this, this tournament and, you know, 2020 for NWSL, the weirdest year ever. I think, the, I mean, we've talked a lot about sort of the potential and the risks and all those kind of things, but I just wanted to kind of close by saying um, it's going to be nice to have actual games that we can assess and we can look at, and we're going to end up with someone who wins a title this year. And, you know, it'll probably be North Carolina because it's always North Carolina, but maybe it'll be someone else. And... (laughs) That's just, uh, I really didn't think that was it was going to happen this year. I thought we might get a few games or something, but uh, I didn't have much confidence that there would be an actual event so we could have 2020 in the history books or in the NWSL Almanac, which you will be updating um, <laughs> with, with actual results. And now I have and to figure out. And, yeah, I have to figure out, like, do I add these appearances to regular season? Does the knockout round count as playoffs? Do I treat this whole tournament yeah. as a separate thing? I don't know. We'll ha- we'll have to determine that later. Those and are the questions I, we need to be asking the league. But those are yes, pretty uh, yes. esoteric <laughs> questions compared to what we were worried we might be asking. Um, and I also feel like an event like this, especially following, you know, no training and then only personal training and then, you know, small group training. Um, it's a great, it really levels the playing field uh, in terms of, I, I think whoever does best at the tournament, it'll be whoever managed 
this strange time the best in terms of coaching leadership, player leadership, player personalities, right? Like I, I think there, there's always that X factor, right. Of like team chemistry and that kind of stuff. I think that will have more, more effect, more influence in, in an event like this, just because this is so unprecedented, but I think that's just going to make it so much more exciting for us to watch. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen and that's what we want desperately out of sports and we've been missing for so long. So time for little Jen's planning today's topic. What's the difference between stoppage time, extra time and overtime stoppage time is the additional playing time at the end of each half that compensates for any stoppages in play during that half, like player substitutions, uh, resetting after a goal has been scored, injuries, and similarly when there's a mandated water or cooling break because of weather conditions, that time spent on the cooling break is added to stoppage time at the end of the half. Extra time refers to the two periods of play following a tie game when you have a game that must have a winner. Now, during the NWSL regular season, uh, during regular league games for Liga Max or the FAWSL or the Frown Bundesliga or even the round robin stage of the Women's World Cup or next month's NWSL Challenge Cup, games are allowed to end in a tie. So you don't see extra time in those games. So you only see extra time when it's a playoff game or a knockout round. So playoff games for NWSL, the Ligia of Liga MX, that's their playoffs, or the knockout rounds, the Women's Champions League or the Women's FA Cup or the Women's World Cup. The standard for extra time is two periods of 15 minutes each. And yes, extra time can have stoppage time added at the end of each 15-minute period. Lastly, overtime, not really a soccer term, but you often hear it used in American broadcasts to refer to extra time because they know that American viewers already kind of know what overtime is. Um, but your, your technical soccer terms are stoppage time and extra time. Some people say injury time for stoppage time. But stoppage means more than just injury. It could be that, like I said, that water break, uh, goal reset, subs, etc. All right. So I hope all those times make it really clear. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Katie and Jessica from the Four Kicks podcast, which if you haven't heard it before, it's all about Canada soccer, which, hey, I know I'm an American. I know I'm a Texan, but I love Canada soccer, too. So I wanted to catch up with you guys. It's been a while. First question for you guys is how are things going north of the border? Um, things are actually, we're in Edmonton, um, which has had a pretty, we've been able to flatten the curve pretty well. Uh, we only have, seem to have maybe a couple new cases a day. We're under 50 new cases, um, like active cases. Um, so that's all really good. Um, but I know, uh, like Katie and I are, uh, we're being super, uh, careful, um, 
as are, you know, many people we know. So I think, and I think it's been working. Uh, you can yeah. see it, obviously, in the number of cases. Uh, lots of people are taking it seriously up here, which is great. <laughs> and, yeah, and Katie, I, I heard you got, you have a pretty, like, mega responsible job related to some COVID decisions. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it has definitely impacted uh, the work that I do by day. I work for a school division. So I think that's all I really need to say, like a, a K to 12 um, uh-huh. kids. <laughs> so we've we have had lots of decisions to make around, you know, you can't go to school. And now are you going to go back to school? And, uh, and yeah, so the, my life is, you know, between podcasting about Canada soccer and um, that kind of stuff. My life is never dull. And and the good news is that summer and or like at least a really good spring is kind of starting to peek its nose out here in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so yeah. That'll make things a little bit more pleasant. It, well, does, it um, does make it easier. <laughs> Jessica, what did you think when you heard the announcement that uh, NWSL would be coming back for a 25 game tournament in July? Um, I, I was initially like, uh, is this a great idea guys? Um, but then I looked at <laughs> the protocols that they're, uh, kind of instituting. I went through all those documents. Um, I listened to Lisa Baird talk and then the medical team. Uh-huh. I listened to that, like that conference call and that really kind of, uh, helped alleviate most of the concerns that I had. I do think that, um, having it condensed, uh, into uh, like 25 games where you can like essentially create a, a, a player's village. Um, to yes. Keep, like that makes a lot of sense that like, I'm like, okay, you don't have teams taking commercial flights. Um, they can come into the, the location uh, several days before the tournament, get tested, get the results. Um so a lot get of it tested again, get tested <laughs> again, you know, and they're doing testing at their training right now. Um, so I, I do think it's uh, a lot of my concerns have been alleviated. I have some, some other concerns about just like, you know, general efficacy of actual testing, but um, that's about it. Like it, yeah. I think they've done such a salt, like it's such a solid return to play plan because it includes the players association. Um, unlike yes. other leagues that we have seen start up with Bundesliga, um, you know, the players voices are clearly heard in this plan. Well, and, and Katie, w- with you following NWSL, do you tend to follow Canadian players that you like or do you follow by team or it's just all soccer it's all good you know what Jen I would say a combination of all three of those things um Jess and I have sort of noticed over the years that we kind of tend to cheer a little less for the teams that don't have any Canadians playing for them um (laughs) and, and you know what like like I'll use Seattle um you know, for years there, there, there was like a lack of Canadian representation. Right. And so, yeah. yeah. And so, and so I don't have, I mean, Seattle's a great city and like their team was great and we have a lot of respect for the way they run their club, but they were just not as much maybe on our radar. Um, so yeah, obviously like my attention drifts to where there are Canadians playing. Um, but I'll be honest, I have my favorite, like my favorite teams, teams that I tend to favor, but 
I'm pretty all in on NWSL. That's why like on our social media, we used to have match picks of the week because we kind of followed basically as much of it as we could possibly watch. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Um, well, and of course, speaking of Canadians, one of the big things I wanted to talk to you guys about was kind of going back to our last international break when, you know, the U.S. had She Believes Cup and Canada went over to France for Tournoi de France, uh, playing France, Netherlands and uh, Brazil. So, Jessica, thoughts on the, on that tournament overall for the Canadians? Um, overall, I think. Katie and I both agree it was a pretty disappointing tournament for us. I thought our uh, just our team wasn't the level of play wasn't what we have come to usually expect with this team, though, over the kind of the past year, um, the the our ability to play at that level, we have questions, um, which, you know, we we kind of chalk up to a number of factors and. Um, so like we got, but then again, you know, we played really high quality teams. It's France, it's Netherlands, it's Brazil. And, you know, against France, it's not uncommon for us to lose um, by a really close margin. Um, so like sort of disappointing, but also semi-expected. Well, and, and Katie, what were your thoughts about the, the last game of the tournament for Canada where they came back to score two goals, what, in the mm-hmm. last 16, 17 minutes to come back from being down 2-0 to Brazil to equalize 2-2? I mean, I'm going to be probably a little less generous than Jessica. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, specifically... Specifically around your question, Jen, I honestly remember, you know, I'll write notes during games just so I have, you know, my talking points for our podcast. And I remember writing a note during the Brazil game that said, are we even going to score in this entire (laughs) tournament? Because you'll remember we lost uh, to France, zero to one. It was a nil-nil draw, I think, with Netherlands. Um, And then... Uh, and then Brazil was up two on us. And I was like, oh, I, yes, Jess is right that, you know, these are really high quality teams, but are we really going to walk away from this tournament without even having scored? Um, so it was an enormous, enormous relief when we were able to equalize in that game. Um, and so, you know, not only was, I mean, it wasn't a win. I would have really liked a win, but thank goodness it wasn't another loss. And thank goodness we were able to put two away there. Yeah, and one thing that yeah. I, I really noticed is that Sinclair was pretty quiet throughout the tournament. You know, I expect her to be in more plays than she was in, and um, I it, it it came down to a lot of um, you know just a lot of misconnections into where Sink usually plays on the field. Like they weren't even getting the ball to to her, and she's such a playmaker. If you can't get the ball to Sink, then you've cut off a lot of our playmaking ability. Yes. Well, and, and Katie, another question for you, um, you know, cause I don't think I've talked to you guys since, since the women's world cup last summer, last summer, just how do you feel about the arc of the team over the last say year and a half? So since world cup qualifying fall 2018, like I feel like they have so many great pieces and for whatever reason, those pieces aren't coming together to be greater than the sum of their parts. 
Yeah, I mean, it's concerning, right? I, I've thought lots and lots about this. Most of the same the same players are at the table, and I don't just mean the players on the field, right? Like, we have most of the same pieces, um, and yet they're not working quite the same way that they were. I know um, Jessica and I were just looking at some highlights from some of our favorite matches, and I, I just had this feeling in my chest of, oh my goodness, remember? Remember that? Um, and and those were times that came before the lead up to the World Cup. Obviously, it was a very disappointing uh, result at the World Cup for us. There's there's no two ways about it. It was just disappointing. Um, it, it feels to me like I, while I completely understand that we, we as a team need to be building our depth and that in the modern game, you know, you need to have uh, players who can kind of play the field basically. Um, but I don't believe that we are always playing our players to their strengths at this time. I still think that while, yes, we need to build depth um, and we need to try new things, which is something that John Herdman did too. Um, I think that you need to recognize, you know, our coaching staff needs to recognize the strengths of our players um, and and play them where they're strongest and how they're strongest. Um, and that's been really frustrating for us as spectators of uh of Canada, um, that we're just not seeing that, um, the way that we think that we should be seeing it. And, and we feel that the, the team is suffering because of it. I mean, our results have obviously, um, have not been the best. Yeah. Another, sorry. Go ahead, Jess. No, I was going to turn it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, well, I just, it's, it seems like it's, it, I mean, I, I totally hear that frustration, you know, um, and I felt like even non-Canadian fans were like that that performance in the World Cup. It's like we know there's more, right? And you've got um, now the world's all-time leading scorer, you know, and these players like like Matheson being healthy again. I'm so excited mm-hmm. about that, right? And and some great young talent like Heitema and Fleming coming up. So what you know, Jessica, what do you think the um, you know, some of the things holding them back are. Um, I'm glad I let you get that question in, Jen, because I was actually going to talk about that. <laughs> because um, like we saw in the tournoi uh, difference is that like Matheson really added a spark. Um, and I think that's, you know, she's always been a really kind of sparky player. She always adds a lot. Um, but when, uh, we were kind of, we kind of seemed like really tired. It's like getting down a Matheson there who has a really good engine, uh, just totally added that spark. Um, but yeah, the thing that I think, um, you know, is kind of missing is like, we keep, we keep saying a lot of the same players too. So like, obviously we're trying to add depth to our bench, but then our players aren't getting rotated enough to get enough minutes. I think to kind of gain more experience, like we're not seeing enough minutes, I think for Adriana Leone, um, Jenna Hellstrom has been called up a, a number of times and she's really, she can be put almost anywhere on the field and she hasn't gotten any playing minutes. Like she's been called into camps and then she's been on a couple of rosters, but then she hasn't seen any minutes. Um, there, there are a bunch of players like that where it's just like, yeah, like Lindsay you, Agnew why? too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then Lin- yeah, exactly, Lindsay Agnew. Um, where I'm just like, why did you even call them in if you're not even going to give them a chance and you're going to stick with like your usual 14 players? What is the point of having a 20 person roster then? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I think the biggest disappointment right now, I think, is not getting to have that scheduled April friendly in Vancouver yeah. against Australia, which I was I was even trying to see if I could, you know, work out traveling to that. Um, because one, it would be a very rare home game for Canada, but two, you would get to at home celebrate Sinclair's world record. So, you know, Katie, talk about what what was the reaction in Canada when she did uh, break Abby Wambach's record in February? Or was that late January, I guess? Yeah, I mean, everybody was talking about it, right? Like, uh, soccer is not something that's on the lips and tongues of Canadians very often. Um, I mean, I think most Canadians know who Christine Sinclair is. Um, right. But but you don't hear people talking about it very often. Um, I mean, obviously, we have the issue that we don't play that often. Um, but... But, you know, we heard people uh, uh, talking about it and people were just so proud. You know, Canada, I, I mean, if you guys know any Canadians or you ever, ever, uh, you know, hear, hear Canadians talking, we always want um, our Canadianness to shine through. Like, <laughs> did you know Jim Carrey is Canadian? <laughs> like, you know, um, that's true. <laughs> like, that, is, that is Canada for you. Like, so, so we are so proud of our Canadianness. And of course, you know, we always talk about how we're kind of like, the little sister, little brother to the U.S. Um, you know, we often live in your guys' shadow. So to have something like that, that's all our own. People are just so proud. Um, everybody in the sports world was talking about it and celebrating it. And then just yeah. people at work, people on the street, you know, chitter chatter here and there. People are talking about it. Um, and it's a big deal because it's not just um, the top woman goal scorer. It's the top goal scorer, period. The end. Greatest of all time. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and Jessica, too, that, that Christine is approaching 300 caps. Um, it, I think it's a toss up at this point, whether who will get there first between her and Carly. Um, I would yeah. kind of put my money on Carly just because I would assume maybe USA will have some games before Canada. But, um, you know, that means it's going to be this very tiny club of Christine Lilly. Christy Rampone, Christine Sinclair, and Carly Lloyd at 300 caps. And again, that's not a female-only record. That's anybody ever. So, so, so give nice me some club. more Christine Sinclair thoughts. <laughs> um, oh God. How long that's is she going to so keep nice. going? Hopefully forever. She can just, you know, maybe she can get like a, a robot upgrade or something. I don't know. Get a... <laughs> <laughs> What's that? What's that fake steel from Wolverine has adamantium heart? Yeah, yeah, you know what? And I, uh, I share my my love of Woso even at work. Like my little messenger, like icon is like the Canadian team celebrating celebrating and i had people i had people just like messaging me like i saw christine sinclair got the the record and i was like who is this person i don't even know who this person is at work (laughs) 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 so yeah completely like random people celebrating um and yeah it wasn't just the sports world like it it it's made such huge news in canada that like you know, people who aren't even interested maybe in sports were like, whoa, that's something I didn't even realize was a thing that was happening or could have happened soon. 
Well, I remember doing stats uh, leading up to the Women's World Cup last summer. And, you know, I had tracked, um, I had made some very detailed charts of all of her goals ever, all of Abby's goals broken down by tournament, also Mia's goals, just as reference, because, of course, we were all hoping that the record would be broken you know, during, during the world cup. And mm. I'm so, you know, glad that, that she got the record. I mean, we knew it was inevitable, but I'm a little frustrated that it had to happen like in front of a crowd of what, 1500, um, yeah. in far South Texas, you know, on something that was hard to watch. So it makes me feel better that at least in Canada, it, it, it seems like it got a lot of play. Yeah, that was the nice thing is that it got so much play, like every like so many people were celebrating and so many people were impressed. Um, So it did break like it was huge news. Um, It is disappointing that it didn't happen in Canada in front of Canadians. Um, But that is kind of the story of Christine Sinclair, I feel like, you know, (laughs) she breaks an international goal scoring record in front of how many people were there? Like 500 people? Maybe, maybe 1500 if we're lucky, if we're rounding up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's round up. Yeah. (laughs) You'll round up. Yeah. Well, Katie, what's next for the Canadian national team? I mean, you've got the Olympics on hold. I'm assuming that they're not going to bother to do the qualifying tournament again, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense. You're not going to have time for that. Um, You know, do all of the senior players stick around? I mean, I would hope that this gives, like, actually more rest time, right? So the players with a lot of mileage, like Sinclair, Schmidt, Matheson, it just, you know, it's more time to rest and prep. Yeah, totally. So pretty much exactly what you just said. I mean, I really hope they don't uh, go through another qualifying. First of all, I mean, we've already qualified, but Jen, I'm not going to lie, like that last qualifying tournament felt more stressful than it probably should have been. Um, I mean, obviously we performed fairly well. It's just that because our performance has been um, not what it was for the last little while, it was like, oh, this is more stressful than it (laughs) usually is. Um, uh, But but you make a great point, and this is something we've talked about too, which is that, you know, is it such a bad thing for our players to get an extended rest like this? Um, I mean, right. Canada obviously doesn't play as much as the U.S. or as other as some other countries. Um, but but look at Madison. You guys talked about Madison earlier. She is such a difference maker. She is still so good. Um, but she's been plagued by injuries. Like, will will some time off like this give a Madison, uh, you know, time to recover um, better, and so she'll be stronger and able to play maybe for a little bit longer? And and sure, some of our players are vets. Um, you know, a lot of people are projecting that they're probably near the end of their career. I think they will stick around for the Olympics. I think they'll want to see this out, especially if they have this year to rest and get strong. Um, but who knows? Maybe they get so strong that they stay around even a little bit longer. That's the wish. <laughs> that's a wishful part of me speaking. Um, but obviously, we would let them leave gracefully. They put in their time. Um, so, what comes next? I don't know. I do hope that they, you know, once they've had that adequate rest, I hope Canada says, "Okay, let's make the best of this opportunity and and schedule us a whole big schwack of games and maybe some at home so we can go." <laughs> All right. Last topic um, for you guys talking about the future of Canada international soccer, the Canadian national team. So, um, Jessica, you get to pick. Do you want to talk to me about Haitama or Fleming? Ooh. 
Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. My God. Ooh. Um. And I think they're such they're different stories, right? They're both young, amazing talent. But Fleming, you know, it's clear that her parents were all about, no, you're finishing all four years of college before you go pro. Hi, Tima, going straight to pro um, out of out of high school. Yeah. And I think Fleming has a clear plan kind of post soccer because I think she knows like, all right, this isn't going to last forever. so I, I just think, you know, I kind of think of her as like a Christine Sinclair. Like she's she's got a lot. Um, like she's a thinker, you know, like she just she and she plans. Um, so I think, you know, that four years, uh, she seemed to really enjoy it at UCLA. Um, I do think it was helpful for her progression. Um, and now she has the pick of like pick of the litter. Um, so many teams want her. So many teams are interested in her. And I mean, if, uh, if you've been listening to Janine Becky's like uh, social media or like, or her, I can't remember what she mentioned it on some sort of podcast, but it sounds like Jesse Fleming is planning some moves um, probably in Europe. Um, Cause she's talked about that so many well a couple times she doesn't talk too often um right so right (laughs) the fact that she mentioned anything is shocking um but yeah (laughs) because i think she holds her cards really close to her chest um but yeah i think i think it's gonna be really exciting to find out where fleming's going um and i'm just really excited to see um you know, what team snags her and then um, who she's playing with. Cause I think that will be super instrumental in her development as well. Um, and I mean, I would love to talk about Hydra as well, but I mean, we only have so much time. <laughs> yeah. Well, think, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah, let Katie seen, talk Hydra. Yeah. I mean, so Hydra, we, we've definitely uh, talked about this on our show, you know, the, do you go pro? Do you go to college? Um, we were pumped that Haidema uh, chose to just go pro. Um, I mean, is it what I would do? I, I don't know, but I'm glad that she did it. Um, it seems like it's what's right for her. Um, and, and she's gotten picked up by one of the best clubs in the world, you know? Um, yes. yes. So she's playing in France um, where we have other players, Ashley Lawrence and Kadisha Buchanan playing in France as well. Um and I think it's great. Why not? Why not be 19 and young and free and playing pro soccer in Europe? It's it's awesome. Um, I think Haidema has really gotten Canadians' attention, at least any Canadians who kind of halfway pay attention to our national soccer team. Um, people are really excited about her. Uh, from a personal perspective, I'm really excited to have somebody that tall up front. You know, <laughs> I mean, she's got she's got height. Um, she's got skill. Um, I do think that even in these early moments, she's, you know, she's demonstrating good leadership for the team. Um, I mean, as does Fleming, but I think that's going to be really important as we see some of our veteran players start to phase out. Like the, the leaders on the field have been the leaders who've been on the field for quite a number of years, you know? And so you kind of wonder what, what does the future look like in terms of that leadership? And, uh, and I think, you know, Haidema seems like she's really up to that kind of challenge um, and people are really excited about her. So super interested in, uh, 
in uh, seeing how that goes, I'm really glad she was born in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's amazing when you think about like Kadisha Buchanan, right? She's now had what, what, two and a half seasons abroad and she and Ashley Lawrence and they're still so young, but with so much experience behind them. So when, you know, inevitably you do have the, the senior Canadian players step away from the game that you've got a, a pretty strong group coming up behind them. Well, I want to thank you both for, for taking the time to talk about my second favorite national team. Um, <laughs> always enjoy, you know, hearing it from, you know, the Canadian perspective and, you know, keep up the great work that you guys are doing with the four kicks podcast. Well, thanks so much, Jen. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was great talking to you, Jen. Thank you so much. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. Um, As we talked about in this podcast, in barely a month, we're going to be back to having some live women's soccer games. We'll be treated to 25 live NWSL games via CBS, CBS All Access and Twitch. But until then, if you need WOSO content to tide you over, check out NWSL's YouTube page. There are four seasons worth of games, basically 2013 through 2016, and all games since 2017 are accessible at nwslsoccer.com. If you just click on the schedule page, pick the year, pick the game, click on the game, the video should auto load. And I've posted several really old women's soccer games on my YouTube channel, Woso Nostalgia. Speaking of nostalgia, and I'm going to keep mentioning this until somebody actually sends me some old women's soccer videos. If you have any old games, NCAA, WSA, WPS, US Women's National Team, World Cup, whatever, uh, on VHS or maybe even DVD, but most likely VHS, if you send it to me, I will transfer it to DVD and digital send you the DVD and a digital file, and I will also post it on YouTube for other people to enjoy. So just send me an email, keeper at keepernotes.com for more details on that, because I know half of you probably have a box somewhere in the attic attic or under the TV or somewhere with some random VHS tapes. And as we get closer to having NWSL soccer, if you need to get caught up on all the NWSL rosters, because of course, since last October, we've had a lot of roster changes, be sure to check out the Keeper Notes Google Sheet of Rosters by Club. It's accessible from the de- excuse me, it's accessible from the Woso nerd links at keepernotes.com, along with a lot of other Woso data. And along the lines of Woso data, at long last, the first ever Houston Dash Almanac is a reality. I got the box from the printer yesterday. I've already shipped all the pre-orders. If you want to buy your own copy of the first ever Dash Almanac or my annual Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac covering the entire league's history, you can purchase either one or both at keepernotes.com. Just click on the store link. And the next almanac I will be working on will be one for the North Carolina Courage. 
All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Thanks so much to IcarusFC.com for being a sponsor. They make a lot of great custom uniforms. So if you want something that's not so cookie cutter for your youth team or your Sunday rec league or whatever, check out IcarusFC.com. Also, big thanks to everyone who listens, everyone who shares this podcast with a friend. And of course, big thanks to the Beautiful Game Network and my producer, Sean for making this podcast possible. But now she's at it.